Um, good morning, everyone. So our Bible reading today, Psalm 39, is, if you've got this Bible, is on page 400, and the other Bible um, is on page 565. Psalm 39. I said, I will... Um, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will not. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. Your rebuke and dis you rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Be not deaf to my weeping. For I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart, and I am no more. I wonder if you're a, a wanderer. You're a wanderer? You wonder about things? I am. That's what happens when I, I wake up early, and there's lots of things that come across my mind, and I wonder about some of them. If you think back in the bigger picture, there's lots of things that make us wonder about life in general. And sooner or later, we just don't know how to respond to things that we're really not prepared for. Have you ever been unprepared? Something's taken you by surprise? Leaves you clutching at straws? I bet you have. You know the feeling of being inadequate to cope with it all? We don't say that to each other very often, do we? But we experience that feeling from time to time. And I'm thinking that David knew that feeling pretty well. He came across it quite a bit. <clears throat> he wrote this Psalm 39 and he expresses a lot of it there. He's supposed to be the king of God's nation, Israel. That's who he's supposed to be. But the reality for David here is that he's frustrated about his life, his whole life. And so what's he doing here that we read about in Psalm 39? He's actually pouring out his heart to God. And it's for the umpteenth time. This is not the first time he's had to do this. So we want to see what we can learn in Psalm 39 for those times when you or I are wondering about life. 
when something's got us and we just don't know what to do with it. How do we do that properly? So David's written what I consider to be a pretty sad song. Um, I'm a bit of a music fan. I like 70s rock. Um, I listen to it pretty often as, as uh, my hearing aids allow. Um, and um, I've, I've listened to lots of sad songs. I can pick one when I hear one, I suppose. Look at what he says in verse 1. He said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. See, he's got this burning desire. He's full of this burning desire. And he's saying here, look, I want to explode with verbal anger. And there's wicked people. They're making life tough for me. Now, if you think about this, this is right in the middle of the Bible, right? So this is in the, in the Psalms. It's a pretty wa- weird way to start a song to God. You know, I want to publicly express, this is for the nation to sing, I want to publicly express uh, my anger to God, especially when this is about other people, them singing it as well. Remember, this is the hymn book of Israel, the Psalms. But you've got, to, you've got to agree that David's picked the right person to talk to about this. He's talking to his great God. God knows all about anger with wicked people. He's been experiencing that ever since he made we humans. We are very annoying, are we not? David must have been thinking about God and how he deals with his anger because David's trying to restrain himself. Something that in your teens doesn't occur to you and later in life you think, I wished I'd restrained myself more when I was younger. He's, he's wanting to restrain himself from expressing his anger about these people. Remember that God's slow to anger? When, when someone does your eulogy at your funeral, do you think they'll include that? They'll say that you were slow to anger, just like God? You see, that's what he wants. He wants to be very restrained and that's what David wants to be right through this episode. Restrained. That's a big challenge for us all. Not just for people who are known to get angry but for every human on the planet to be like God when we're under pressure and to want to restrain our anger. See, most of us just want to express it, not restrain it. And so it's a big challenge for David Look at his struggle there in verses 2 to 3. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. And as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. See, he wants to restrain himself, but he can feel his anger. It's trying to overtake him. And the harder he tries, the worse it gets. And I wonder, does that ever happen to you? And if so, would you like to, like to write a song about it and we'll all sing it? Hmm? Now, that's the sort of thing that makes you wonder about life. It actually makes you wonder even about death, which is exactly what David does in verses 4 to 6, which you could look at with me. Show me, Lord, my life's ends... And the number of my days, let me know how fleeting 
my life is. Now, I've listened to lots of people, <laughs> probably not that well, especially when I can't hear what they're saying because I've got a hearing issue. But you know what? I listen to this and I think, he sounds depressed here. He's wanting to know when he'll die. Now, I'm glad he's talking to God about this and he's not taking it out on his enemies. He's not letting it eat him up inside because neither of those are healthy. And in verse 5, he stands back and he has this wider look at life. He says, you've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. You see, what's he doing here? He's thinking out aloud with God about life, right? How his life feels insignificant, hopeless, he hopes that God will understand how he feels. Does God ever feel hopeless? Well, see, that's, that's something that makes you wonder about why would he be musing about this with God. In verse 6, David wonders, look, is it all pointless? He says, man's a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He hopes, he, sorry, he heaps up wealth, not knowing whose it will finally be. See, he can see that our material dreams evaporate in an instant when we die. All our best effort, efforts, they add up to nothing. Does this remind you of reading Ecclesiastes? You see yourself there with David and his people in some kind of national musical, all singing this song. I don't like musicals, I've got to be honest with you. My wife does. I don't know how anyone can watch a musical. How... How is it that music just suddenly appears out of the walls and everybody in the street can do the same song, uh, do this, sing the song and do the same dance all, all choreographed, like without any practice, just happens? Does that seem like, is that lunacy to you? But so, yeah, see, some people think musicals are great, right? So, so imagine singing as a nation or singing with hundreds of people about this about this. You, I mean, that musical won't sell. No one wants to watch hundreds of people sing about being depressed. No one. I'm glad that things change in this sad song. Have a look at the shift in direction in verse 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. David knows the only place that he can turn in his struggle is to his Lord God. He knows that. He knew it all along, but he felt like turning away from his Lord God. You know when your thoughts and your feelings clash? He said, I've got to run away. You've got to feel like I've got to run away from him. But I know that I need to run to him. See, to find answers and help elsewhere, is that going to work? He knows that doesn't work. What about you when you try and fix up a problem and then it only gets worse. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand if that's ever happened to you, but you've already answered it in your mind, yeah? You've thought back to when you've done that. Bigger mess than you started with. We need a plan, don't we, for when we feel like we've got nowhere to turn. We need to turn to Jesus as Lord when it all goes pear-shaped. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verse 28? He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I'll give you rest. Now, see, that's something that's priceless, that rest. And so Jesus' plan is for us to turn to him, especially when we're struggling with the burdens of life. And so that needs to be our plan as well because we're following him. He's the Lord. He's not like a mate who I ring up and think, I don't know if I'll pay attention to what he says. He's the Lord. He created us. He knows us intimately. And he understands everything about us. And he knows what's the best things for us to do. That's what it means to be our Lord. And so... How should we go about that? Well, back in Psalm 39, have a look at verse 8. What David says or sings or writes. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. You see, we've got to start with our own sin. Our own internal struggle to respond properly to our external circumstances and the grief that, can, that that can sometimes cause us. But do you stay there? No. You need to move on. The whole purpose of dealing with sin is to move on. And so in verses 9 to 10, he says, I was silent, I would not open my mouth for you, talking to God, you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. So he moves from his internal struggle to his external circumstances. He finally recognises before God that whatever is his lot in life, God's given it to him. It's under God. Even when there's wicked enemies making life tough for him, the king. Now, what do you do with that knowledge? You might be thinking, oh, is he blaming God for these people doing rotten things to him? How should you respond? Well, he's got to press on with restraining himself, which he talked about in verse 2, because he may find himself lashing out against God. Would that be the right response? No. Would it be right to treat God as his wicked enemy? No. Now, what he needs to do instead is to plead to God for help to restrain himself. And that's what he does in verse 10. He pleads with God for mercy and for kindness because he knows that only God can change his circumstances. He recognises this is all beyond me. I can't control what these people are doing. I might be the king, but they make choices of their own. They do to me what they want to do. He knows that only God can help him deal with his own internal struggle as well. So there's the external stuff and there's his response to it internally. Now, I think it's really easy to forget that. That when we turn to Jesus in our struggles, that he's kind, that he's generous, that he can help us to resist our own sinful responses to our struggles, that he can help us to trust in him to deal with us and our circumstances kindly and generously, lavishly. We need to remember just how committed, how keen and able Jesus is to help us 
And let's remember something else about our Lord in verse 11. David says, You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Sounds more like Ecclesiastes again, doesn't it? But he's remembering, David, here, that God's serious about sin. He's not, it's not a joke. It's not something you just don't worry about. If we ignore God, God takes that seriously. He actually does care when we offend him, when we misrepresent him. And he severely punishes our rebellion, David says, the things we all do that have messed up life on this planet. Now, I'm not a news watcher. It's my wife's job. About once a week I ask her, is there anything in the news worth knowing? And about 50 weeks out of 52, she says no. Right? Very rarely is there anything that rocks me, uh, especially when I don't know about it. And so um, if you look around, watch the news, can you see that we've messed up life on this planet? Hmm. Do you think God cares about that? Of course he does. We're hurting each other, the people he created. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurt, hurting the planet that he made. See, there's no soft option with sin. There's no point in running from God. And so the only smart move is to run to God because he's kind and generous to his people who seek shelter in him. He's also serious about punishing everybody who doesn't do that. Now, see, that's unpopular. And it's the same person that we're describing there. Kind and generous, serious about sin. So we need to make this our habit, not just leave it with David. We need to come to Jesus and find rest when the burdens of life are heavy. Jesus invites us to come to him in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You've probably heard this a many times and read it he says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest see that's something that you can't make that you can't go to the supermarket and buy rest two dollars 99 limit of three per customer it's not there but with jesus as our rescuer it's there. And he works in us as his followers. We find that he's changing us from the inside out. And so you, read, you get to the New Testament, you're reading Ephesians, and you get to chapter 4 and verse 25. Uh, you know, what to do with our wealth idols and our anger. He starts talking about that, Paul. And he says, since you put away lying, speak the truth. Each one to his neighbour because we're members of one another. Be angry... And do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So three changes for followers of Jesus there, from lying to speaking the truth, from anger to letting it go daily by sunset, handing it over to God daily. That's a practice. And from theft to honesty and generosity. There's a list of changes goes on in the rest of the chapter. But what, what we need to see here is that anger, holding on to anger and being controlled by it, is simply out of place in the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, we'd, or we'd all say theft, that, that doesn't belong in the life of a follower of Jesus. We'd say lying, same thing. But what about anger? 
It's just as unworthy to be in the life of a follower of Jesus. And that's why when we get down to verse 31 of Ephesians 4, we read, All bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. You see, Paul thinks it's a big deal and God inspired him to write that and made sure that it got into our Bibles. Now, you remember how this song started pretty sadly? But does it have a happy ending? Well, let's have a look. Verses 12 and 13. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. So there's just this touch of optimism there. And if you've ever been depressed for a long time or you've, you've been with people who are like, they don't, they don't, they're not beaming with happiness all of a sudden. But this is a bit of a turning point here, a bit more optimism. David's banking on his great God coming through for him now. Do you know Why? because he's abandoned every other form of hope and he asked God for a happier ending to his life. Does he say, I want it all to be great? No, just a little happier. Verse 12, he realises that he belongs with God, yet he's an alien stranger where he is right now as he sings, as he writes. In verse 13, he wants to somehow rejoice again one day before he dies. You know, I get the impression he says just one day will be enough, one happy day. So I think he's just taking it a day at a time, not trying to conquer the world, not trying to make a, make a plan for the rest of his, you know, the next 50 years. And this is a pretty good insight into hope. You see, God can answer his prayer in different ways. He can take him home sooner than later. He can do that. Or he can change his circumstances to release the pressure or he can help him deal with his internal struggle. And I think David sounds like he'd settle for any of these answers. But the amazing thing about your God, my God, is that he's capable of delivering all of these answers. Because he's not only powerful enough to deliver them all, he's also, remember, kind and generous to his people. And he loves to help his people. He loves that. And David knows all of this, despite feeling lost in his struggle as the king who has wicked enemies and doesn't know what to do. And so he turns to God and he asks for help. And I'm impressed. I'm impressed by David that when he was deeply distressed and confused, he still knew what he had, that he had to turn to his Lord God. He knew that. That was the bottom line. Remember earlier in David's life, he was just a shepherd boy, but he faced significant enemies, threats. He had to depend on God to help protect him uh, from the wolves and the bears and other dangerous animals so that he could continue to protect the sheep. And so now, surrounded by even more wicked enemies, he knows he must turn to his great God. His life proved that to him over and over. Even despite his own desire to sin in response to his situation. And so I want to encourage you this morning to do what David did, to turn to Jesus in your struggles 
and torments and to plead with him for kindness and for generosity, to think about kindness and generosity in him when you're feeling like overwhelmed with anger. Can I encourage you to trust in Jesus all the time? Even when you feel least like talking to him. It may be when you wonder about life and you just can't work it all out. It may be when life takes an unexpected turn and leaves you bewildered. It may be when God brings change to you and you just struggle to accept it. Or it may be when he, when he brings change to you as a church and you struggle with him and say, oh, I liked it how it was. What about, why, why are you doing this now? You see, that's when we need to turn to him the most in those times. And that's ever so clear in Jesus' mind and in his prayer just before he's arrested by a bunch of thugs with weapons and then suffered a sham of a trial and then was brutally killed as an innocent man right in front of the people who were closest to him to their shock and dread, even his own mother. And he went through all of that intentionally. Have you ever written anything like that into your diary for tomorrow? If so, please go and see somebody who can help you because this is not a healthy thing for you to be doing. Jesus has done it all for you already. You see, he did it for our forgiveness. Our only way back to God. But what is it that he's doing that night before he went through all of that? You see, he's praying. He's talking to his father God about all of that. He tells his disciples that he's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, that's a very clear description, we would say, of what it feels like to be heavily depressed. I imagine it's all a bit much knowing that you're about to suffer the greatest injustice in history at the hands of brutal soldiers, thugs, religious leaders and an insecure governor. It's not that Jesus can't work out why this is all about to happen. He knows this is part of his mission to rescue his people. So it's not unexpected for Jesus. It's on the list. He knew full well that this was coming. But even then, it was incredibly difficult. Such a sad time in his life. Overwhelmingly sad, he says. And so what's he praying? What did he bring to God, his father, about that? Well, Matthew, Mark and Luke all tell us what he prayed. He's describing the coming ordeal as drinking a cup of God's wrath, God's anger. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, do you see what's happening here for our Lord and Master Jesus? He's pouring out his heart to his Father God. He's bringing his overwhelming sorrow to him in prayer. He's accepting that God's will should be done instead of his own. You see, he's wrestling with all of that and he's wrestling in earnest. Luke says that Jesus wasn't just sweating in prayer, which probably many of us have done, but he says that his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's like the life's draining out of him as he's praying this stuff. It's overwhelming. David turned to God in his saddest and his angriest moments. Jesus turned to God in his saddest moment and his biggest struggle. 
What about you? What about me? Will you turn to God in your sad moments when you're wondering about life, when you're clutching at straws, when you're feeling inadequate to cope with all that's happening? Well, what about we do that together now? I'm glad that we don't have to sing this, but I'll pray. And how about you join me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for inviting us to come to you when we can't work out life and our own sin is getting on top of us. We ask that you'd help us to turn away from our own ways of trying to make life work in those times. Please help us to depend on you and to hope in you. We thank you for using your awesome power to treat us kindly and generously. And please continue to treat us so well. And please help us not to offend you in the ways that we react to life and the difficulties that we face. Please help us to keep becoming more like you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the, on the cross you entrusted yourself to your Father God. And so we ask that you'd help us to be like that too when we struggle in life. We thank you for being available to listen to us, for us to be able to speak with you, God the Father, through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that you're so willing to help kindly and generously and lavishly. Thanks for listening to us right now, through Jesus. Amen.